I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing Mike Jeanan, who met at a train show in Chicago, and we are now becoming fast friends. He's going to talk about EPR properties, their focus on the Halo and leisure assets. So we're going to do a little primer on how the real estate market works, how he looks at investment opportunities, and how we can potentially help unlock value for a lot of operators around the country, as well as uh, growth opportunities as new concepts continue to roll out. So Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Awesome. So why don't you talk a little bit about your background, talk about, you know, EPR and maybe give a little uh, primer on what a real estate investment trust is and how you guys deploy capital and, you know, the returns you're looking for, as well as, you know, what's considered a trophy asset or what's considered, you know, clients that you want to have a relationship with as they continue to grow. Yeah, great. So I could probably go for a full half hour on that. Um, right, have at it. Stop me, stop me where <laughs> you need to. Um, yeah, so look, EPR, high level, uh, you know, publicly traded REIT based out of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we've got, you know, six and a half uh, plus billion in investment um, across 350 plus assets in 44 states in Canada. Um, we've got more than 200 partners and, and tenants um, in there as well. Uh, we bill ourselves as the diversified experiential REIT. And what that really means is that we focus on investing on in real estate venues that facilitate out-of-home leisure, recreation, and social experiences. Um, so what does that really mean, right? So what yeah. we're invested in is primarily, and this is kind of our history and legacy, is in the movie theaters. So we own, uh, the, we're the largest owner of real estate, um, uh, movie theater real estate in the country and have been for some time. Uh, that that is our legacy business, and so our our growth factors are really all of the other kind of experiential uh, real estate that that you can really think of, right? So um, you think ski areas, theme parks, water parks, family entertainment centers um, like Main Event and Dave and Buster's, for example. Uh, what they call entertainment, which is kind of the the blending of entertainment and F and B. So Top Golf is a great example of that, and in fact, we own. Most of the top golfs throughout the country. Oh, wow. Um, it's a nice yeah, asset so, to have. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, experiential lodging. Um, so think, you know, kind of your your classic mountain resort up near a ski area, beach resorts, um, you know, kind of, you know, golf resorts, et cetera, um, that have that kind of that experiential component to it. Um, Halo, obviously, um, you know, or otherwise we wouldn't be talking here. That's another one of our vectors that I'm in charge of growing hey, for hey. sure. And so... You know, what we do is kind of our core of our business is we invest in real estate, we're buy and hold, and we work with, uh, we work with good operators that want to be in the business for a long time. And we, we, we partner to do long-term leases or long-term mortgages. 
Um, and so we, you know, essentially we collect rent from, uh, from the operators as, as the real estate owner. Great. So, you know, in the core health club market, you know, Lifetime Fitness originally was a group that raised a significant amount of equity capital, uh, built their own locations, you know, spent close to $40 million per location, um, was publicly traded before it went private. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the equity analysts said, you know, are you a health club operator? Are you a REIT? Are you both? Yeah. Why are you both? How am I supposed to value you? And then they sold off some of their real estate assets, went private, and then reemerged as a public company, you know, six to nine months ago. Um, and have taken advantage of a lot of opportunities where there's now, you know, 100,000 square feet in a, a mall that used to be a Sears or used to be, you know, a big retailer that now basically needs to fill a void. And, and they're probably the only potential, you know, experiential uh, group that can take on that type of square footage. Um, yeah. so, so as you kind of find, you know, the next top golf, if you will, you know, those groups typically are going around and trying to find real estate developers to find me a piece of land, build it out for me. I'll sign an 11 year lease. Um, talk about, you know, what, what EPR does it at what level. And, you know, once you kind of go all in and say, Hey, look, I like this lease because I like the operating model and the unit economics, you know, I'm willing to go and now put capital on the development side, or do I need to start with a building? Yeah. So look, I mean, that is, that is the basic of our, of our business model, right? Is we're, you know, and you've seen this happen in multiple uh, different industries, right? The hotel business has done this for, for now a long time where they've been uh, going asset light. Uh, we're, we're, we are the product of, of movie theater business doing the same thing. Um, right. And so there's, there's a tried and true model here of, of a, a real estate focused firm like ours or, you know, private equity can do it as well, but there's a number of REITs out there that are trying to decouple the, the real estate from the operations. And so what we're looking for is clearly good real estate and good locations. You know, the lifetimes are not, uh, they're, they're good at what they do, right? They, they know the demographic profile of their customer. Uh, they know what locations work. And so we're doing the same thing where we're going and looking at demographics of a certain area for, let's say, a lifetime operator. We love the lifetime model for a number of reasons. You know, number one, uh, just to use them as an example, uh -huh. um, the larger format, they tend to be, um, you know, standalone, standalone facilities. They're not part of, let's say like, you know, a strip mall or some other, you know, uh, larger, uh, larger development where everything's kind of melded together and you can't separate the real estate very easily. But there's also inherent value in the real estate that they have, right? The facilities that they build, the fact that they are amenity rich and they have, they have the big pool, the indoor, the outdoor pool. They've got the basketball courts. They've got, well, I guess less basketball courts now, more pickleball courts, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Right. So there's some, there's some inherent value that they're building into the real estate there that, that we really like. And that, you know, you can't, you don't find that as much on, um, you know, let's say, you know, some of the, the mid market players in the halo sector, like the 24 hour fitnesses, right. They have their, their separate facilities, but a lot of them are going to be built into a strip mall or something like that, where. Um, they're part of an overall kind of, you know, larger, larger real estate play. Got um, it. And then, you know, on the operation side, like you said, unit economics, I mean, we pay a lot of attention to that, especially when we're looking at investing in the real estate uh, with a, with a chain underlying it, right? We want to make sure that, you know, each of those locations are making it on their own. And if, and if there's, 
you know, some that there's, there's the good and the bad, right? Sometimes there's the good assets, the bad assets that we're, we're very confident that we're getting a good asset, right? Because we're, at the end of the day, we're long-term investors, right? We don't get in and out of properties like a private, uh, private equity firm might, you know, the five to seven year hold and, and flip. We want to own these things in perpetuity. We don't, we don't really sell assets. And so we rely on the operators to a much larger degree than I think probably, um, you know, most real estate investors do because we do want to hold things for the long term. Hey, hey. You know, what are, what are the differences and, and you can, you know, either affirm this or, or, um, contrast it, you know, when you put down a, a top golf, um, you know, that, that operator is, is making a, probably a 20 or 30 year you know, commitment to that space. Whereas a health fund operator might say, Hey, look, I want a 10 or 11 year, uh, lease. And then I, I, you know, I might want to now at the end of that lease, look to use that potential extension or that potential termination of the lease in order to reload my location because they can potentially find someone to, Hey, I, I'd love to get your, uh, LA fitness lease or, or, you know, prior to COVID your LA fitness lease. So there's probably a lot more movement or negotiation whereas I would think a lifetime or a top golf might say, you know, look, once I commit to this location, it doesn't, there's not really a way for me to go and replicate this type of footprint, you know, within a, a specific square foot, you know, with that square footage and with that destination location, you know, and move it a mile away or move it a half mile away. One, because of scarcity of real estate. Two, just the, the value of continuing to improve a current location versus find a new location, I would think is to your benefit. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah, no, yeah, you nailed it. And that's one of the reasons why we, we like some of the more bespoke real estate, right? Like, you know, the Lifetime Fitness is top golf. They are, they're purpose built. They're, you know, built for a specific, a specific use. And, and, you know, while there, there could be some reuse down the road, we certainly don't plan on that. And so, you know, I, to, to be honest with you, I think our, we are not trying to be all things to all people in the halo sector. We're, you yeah. know, we're, we're just, we're not going to be a good partner for, you know, the, the cycle studio that wants to be, you know, in a, in a mall somewhere, or even if there's like a, a smaller location and an out parcel, we're, we're probably not going to be a great partner for them. Um, and so, you know, we go in with, with eyes wide open on that, but we can be a, a, a fantastic partner for the right type of, right type of operator. And so, you know, we, you know, like I said, there's, there's the, you know, I think the Bay Clubs of the world, the Lifetime Fitnesses of the world, the Midtown uh, Athletic Clubs of the world, those are the types of assets that um, that fit us perfectly. Now, we we have and we will continue to look at the middle market, like the 24-hour fitnesses and the LA fitnesses and some of the more independent chains that kind of fit in that in that price range. If the real estate, uh, you know, fits well with us and that, and they want to sign up for a longer term lease or a mortgage that's 10 plus years or whatever the case may be that fits them. We'll also look at, um, you know, other, other types of business models. We have a couple of climbing gyms, for example, um, where we really like the location that they're in. They have a brand in certain markets that we know they're going to be there for a long time. We have confidence in that and the operators are great. And so, you know, we, we, we try not to, you know, pin ourselves into a corner. There's a lot of interesting things that are happening outside of kind of our, our sweet spot there. And so, you know, we can be creative, um, up to a certain, up to a certain point with structure and with the types of people that we work with. And, um, you know, even if it's a, if it's more of a startup operator that doesn't have a long history of success, 
there's things we we can do where we you know we will take some some bets here and there, but it's probably going to come with things like you know maybe a personal guarantee or maybe a a relationship deal where they're signing up to to be with us and us with them for the next you know five stores or whatever it is on a more success basis. Um, and so you know we can uh, we can kind of you know I guess broaden our brush, if you will, um, yeah, hey. by, by thinking in those ways. But, but you're right. I mean, the, the real estate's really important to us and, and the long, the long-term nature of the leases are, are key to what we do. Yeah. So when you take a look at, you know, let's say you've got a, a you know, a bait clubs type of a platform, um, they've got a growth plan. You kind of look at your balance sheet and you say, Hey, look, I can, uh, you know, deploy a secondary and bring in more capital, basically dedicate this to, you know, a five-year real estate play uh, for a group like that. How do you think about, you know, diversification of assets? How do you think about, you know, an exclusivity provision where, hey, look, if you, if you want me to take the risk of building you another 10 locations, I got to get all 10 um, because I want to make sure, make sure that we're partners and that, you know, we're going lockstep in, in growth together here. Um, and then also, how do you think about when it comes to permitting, when it comes to you know, construction costs these days when it comes to, you know, just the time to, to get to an opening, how flexible are you, you know, within reason of like, Hey, I can commit this amount of capital, but you kind of got to spend it over a certain period of time. I can't just leave it out here as like a, an escrow account, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of diversification and concentration, I think, you know, we've got six and a half billion plus an investment, right? So it's going to take a lot for us to feel like we're too concentrated on somebody, yeah. right? We, I think we've got, you know, 200 plus movie theaters with all the, the big operators, AMC and Cinemark, et cetera. Um, and so we've, we've dealt with concentration risk in the past for sure. We've got, you know, I think 45 plus top golf. So we're, we're comfortable taking big bets on people that we, and operators that we really believe in. Um, it, but, you know, just the math works out that it's going to have to be, a lot of money before we really start feeling concentration risk. Um, and, you know, even within, not necessarily within certain operators, but within certain geographies, like we, you know, we, we've got, you know, multiple movie theaters and in the same market, right. And as long as we're comfortable that the fundamentals and the demographics can support it, then, um, you know, then, then we're willing to do those type of things. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm losing the other parts of your question there. Can you? Uh, I think, help I think me out? you answered most of them. I, the, the one follow up question I had was, you know, being in the movie theater industry, um, you know, when all these closures were going on during COVID, obviously, you know, you had to be pretty patient, um, you know, from a standpoint of collecting rents when there was no revenue uh, associated with it. Having said that, some of the best health clubs I've been in throughout this, the country are repurposed movie theaters that have great acoustics that turn into some pretty awesome health clubs that are in, you know, landmark buildings or, yeah. you know, just kind of turn a, turn a movie theater into, you know, a, a spin room. Like that's, that's great. Cause you know, you've got the IMAX and you've got the Dolby and then you take a look at, um, there's usually a lot of parking, you know, and there's no prohibitions around that. It's somewhat of a destination. So, you know, given, you know, if, if there was a, if there was a, a curtain, and I was behind the curtain at EPR and I said, Hey, look, you know, we've got some of these movie theaters. Why don't we try to maybe repurpose these movie theaters with one of our other tenants? Um, yeah. has that happened yet? Or is it going to happen? You know, how, how do we think about that? Obviously you're a public company, so don't say anything you don't want to say, but I feel like there might be a natural repurposing of halo related assets 
know, inside of movie theaters long term. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, to take a step back, I, I think um, yeah, it wasn't the best time to be as levered to movie theaters as as we were over the last two, two or three years. That being said, I think I think we only got back a handful of theaters out of the hundreds that we have. And so uh, it speaks to the quality of the, the theaters that we do have. So while it's not a major issue issue for us to have to repurpose some of these movie theater assets that might be part of malls or other, you know, sort of, um, you know, kind of larger plays. It's certainly conversations that we have. And we've got an asset management team that does a fantastic job of of finding ways to repurpose them um, or sell them to developers, right? I mean, a lot of the repurposing that's going on with with malls, like bigger malls, is, you know, multifamily development or something sure. like that. It's just a completely different use. And so if there is, you know, if we have to kind of plug and play different tenants into, you know, a mall uh, scenario, then you, have to, you know, there's, there, there are lots of different options. I don't know that we've actually placed a, a larger fitness facility in any of them, at least to my knowledge. But, um, you know, it's something that I've talked to the, to the team about there as well. It's like, you know, we, we don't necessarily invest in a lot of the, the studio type concepts because the real estate doesn't fit with us as, very well from a, uh, an individual investment. But man, we got to be talking to those folks about, you know, getting them into the malls, right? I think there's been a lot of, uh, there's, there's been a lot of conversation and articles about, you know, how it really, those types of fitness concepts in a mall that's maybe, you know, kind of being repurposed, broadly speaking, or repositioned really helps with kind of the, the timing of traffic and, and getting other people there that wouldn't otherwise be there. And so yeah. there's the mutual benefit, um, and so those conversations are happening a lot, but, you know, I haven't seen, and I remember when I lived in San Francisco way back in the day, uh, there was a crunch fitness that was placed yeah, in Al- an old, Alhambra. Yeah. Uh, was it Alhambra? Yeah. Been, yeah. yeah um, the the old movie been, theater yeah. there, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, gosh, it feels like decades ago, um, yeah. but it was one of the coolest places I've ever been. Exactly. And it was so neat. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of those opportunities and, and, you know, it's on us to be as creative as we can to, um, you know, to, to, to place all, you know, all kinds of tenants in there, but particularly yeah. Halo. I think, is it, um, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the football stadium where they, uh, where they roll in the, um, the, the grass oh, or, yeah, yeah, or it yeah, comes yeah, down yeah. from the bottom. And I was thinking, you know, from six o'clock in the morning until 9am, nobody's going to catch a movie. Maybe we could actually like take the flooring of the, uh, of, of the, uh, of the seats and we can pull them out it. and we can put in like 60 spin bikes and, you know, we it. can yeah. say like, here's your, uh, here's your soul cycle from six to nine. And then guys come in and just pull it out and they put it back in. Um, you know, and that's a way to, you know, optimize that asset, uh, over time. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll tinker with that and we'll get the guys who built the, uh, the, uh, university of Phoenix stadium to, uh, to do some of the prep work for that. You should go trade and work that immediately. Somebody is going to be listening and want to go do that. That's fine. As long as it happens, I don't really care because yeah, I've got enough to do during the day. I'm just coming up <laughs> with a hundred ideas that I hope one of them sticks and it turns into a big company that you can finance. Um, you know, a- as you look at, you know, some of your competitors that are out there, how is it, how important is it, you know, how you treated people during COVID? You know, I think a lot of, a lot of groups that come to me and they say, hey, you know, introduce me to some private equity firms or venture firms, you know, who are the good people out there or who would you want to partner with? And I, you know, they say, Hey, this group says on their website, they're flexible capital. I'm like, yeah, they're flexible capital until they don't get an interest payment, uh, yeah. 90 days. And then they're, you know, they're extracting, you know, big, big flesh wounds. Um, so, so how do you think about the reputation of e- of EPR 
you know, obviously you've got investors. Those are institutional investors. They're endowment funds. They're pension funds. You know, I mean, they need to get their rent checks, um, yeah. you know, passed on to them as a as, as a wheat investor. And what's that kind of fine line between? Look, I could work with you, but you know, it's within the confines of of the capital markets. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of work out to be done, you know, during uh, during COVID, and we're by no means uh, different or unique from all of our other competitors, whether there are other REITs or private equity firms or lenders or whatever, right? Everybody had to go through that. Um, we are very proud of the fact that, you know, with 200 plus tenants and, and, uh, and borrowers, we didn't have to sue one of them. We were flexible enough that we were able to, to work with pretty much everybody. And I think, uh-huh. like I, I mentioned, I, we only got a handful of assets back where the operators just like, look, we're done. Uh, we were flexible enough to make that happen over 350 plus assets. Um, so I think that speaks volumes to the way that, you know, we all like to say that we're, we're capital partners, right? We're not just in it for a transaction, but I think, you know, um, that's evidence that EPR really does look at their relationships as partnerships and long-term partnerships. As I, I've said a couple of times, we're long-term capital partners. We don't want to be recycling capital. Um, we don't want to be in and out of investments. And so because of that, it is extra important for us to make sure that we're working with people that we trust and, and who trust us. And so I think that's kind of borne out through um, through what was a really trying time. But I think, you know, we came out with flying colors. And I, you know, I, I can't speak to other competitors necessarily, but, you know, we hear things from time to time about, um, yeah, okay, well, we've got this one location with somebody else and it really was tough. And we really appreciate the partnership that EPR brought to us through the, through the tough time. So, yeah, it's great. You know, as you take a look at, you know, tenant credit worthiness, there's obviously a lot of assets in the space that are backed by private equity funds, backed by venture capital funds. How much does that factor into, um, look, you're not getting a personal guarantee from anyone at a private equity fund or a venture fund. At the same time, you know, you know how they get compensated. You know that if they, in a private equity fund, at least if you got one or two bad assets, you're probably not raising another fund. So, you know, the pressure's yeah. on, on their end. And, um, you know, they're using capital and going to uh, the debt markets and getting non-recourse debt and getting lines of credit and getting construction loans that, you know, help bolster, you know, the build out and not necessarily, you know, an operator sitting at home figuring out if he or she is going to go take out an SBA loan. Um, so how do you think about your portfolio and say, hey, I've got X amount of my assets that are backed by private equity funds or institutional capital versus, you know, uh, independent operators, which I assume must be pretty low. Um, actually, I think, you know, the, the majority of our investments outside of the theater business uh, are with independents, you know, that are not necessarily private equity backed. Okay, good. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of that has to just do with the, the types of assets that, uh, that we buy, right? I mean, we're in a, a bit of a niche market. Um, for, for the most part, right? I mean, family entertainment centers, you know, unless you're maybe working with, um, you know, the main events of the world. And I, I'm not even sure what their ownership ownership situation is. I think it's is, an Australian but, company. I'm not sure if that's still, if they're still owned by Arden or not, but yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with them. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a good question. And I, I don't know that I have a real good answer from a, uh, you know, kind of from a 10,000 foot level or even a more strategic level, but from, from an asset by asset level, you know, that's kind of where our underwriting and our deal making uh, can come in, right? So, you know, regardless of 
a corporation that might be standing behind a lease, for example, if we're yeah. comfortable that number one, it's, it's covering well, and we're, and we're confident that the business model will be durable and two, that the real estate itself has, uh, inherent value outside of it, whatever it's being used for right now, I, it can be reused for something else. Uh, or we can maybe bring in another operator that's under a different brand that's going to do, you know, just as well, or maybe 90% as well. We can, we can gain some comfort from that. Now, now that said, we do try to get corporate guarantees wherever we can. We sure. cross collateralize and, and all, you know, all the, the things that are at our disposal. It doesn't always work. Um, but you know, we, we, we don't often have to go and sell assets because the operator failed. Um, and in fact, you know, I haven't been at EPR that long, but, you know, just kind of hearing the folks that have been around for a while, like it, it almost never happens. Yes. Um, and so a lot of that has to do with the underwriting and, and, and really getting whatever we can, right? I mean, that again, we're, we're as focused on the real estate and the, the value of the real estate as we are the operator themselves, right? Those are, they're, they're inextricable, but they're both independently very important. And so we can at least rely on, okay, if the operator doesn't make it or, or if there's some other kind of corporate, uh, you know, problem that drags another, th this one store down with, you know, the rest of the mothership, we still have something that's, you know, fundamentally valuable there. Um, and we, we can do something with, whether it's sell it, whether it's bringing another operator. And so, um, you know, we're not, we're not just, uh, you know, holding the keys with no, with no value there, right? That's just not, not something we're willing to do. Gotcha. And then, and then just in closing here, you know, partnering with, um, you know, a lot of people have decisions to make, whether they're going to go with, uh, a local real estate developer that's going to build them a, a location and you're questioning whether uh, you sign that lease and they run straight to the bank and they get a loan, you know, off the, the, the lease document that you just signed, uh, or if it's a publicly traded read and you know, you can look at their financials, you know, on Yahoo Finance and you can see what they're doing and you could get their, their quarterly reports and you, you can understand what the cap rates are and, you know, what their assets look like. You know, what are some of the benefits? I, I kind of say, like, if you're a franchisee uh, of any business, you know, understanding the franchisor, what their, you know, operation looks like, how well capitalized they are, you know, do you want to, do you want your parent to be rational? And, you know, part of a, a rational franchisor is one that's potentially publicly traded, one that has franchise documents that are buttoned up, one that has, um, you know, quality controls that are in place. So when you kind of say, hey, look, you could go with this, you know, local real estate developer and that might work for you for a, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, single asset. But, you know, we're here to basically meet your growth targets and, you know, we're, we can deploy capital basically as quickly or, or quicker than you can. You know, you know, how do you, how do you kind of use that as a competitive advantage? I think you've kind of answered that, but maybe just kind of in closing here to you know, to pitch, you know, what, what you guys are doing and, and the long standing relationships that you want to have in place going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think I've uh, probably beat to death the fact that we're long-term and we're, and we're partnership focused, but, you know, some of the other benefits working with EPR and, and, you know, I think that this, this stands for most REITs really, um, is one, we're, we're passive, we're passive investors and we have to be right. So, uh, by by the REIT rules to get the the tax benefits of that REITs get, we can't we can't be operators and we can't really you know in any way be be seen managing your business. So 
you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, let's just say a private equity firm comes in and, and buys you and, you know, they can, they can provide you capital through that, through that structure. They're probably going to be in your business day to day, right? They're going to want to make sure that they are squeezing every last cent out of the operation. And um, we do a lot of the work on the front end to, like I said, really trust the operators that we work with. And so we're going to be mostly hands off, you know, as long as you guys are, are you know, paying your rent, paying your mortgage, whatever it is, that's what we really care about. And, and that you're taking care of our real estate, um, you know, keeping the quality up. That's at the end of the day, that's really what we care about. And so we're not going to be in your business. And I think there's tremendous value to, uh, to offer to operators for, you know, in, in working with somebody like an EPR. You know, I mentioned that we're flexible, you know, I think, you know, the, the flexibility, not only in, in the deal-making side on the front end, you know, there's multiple different structures, whether it's a triple net lease and a sale lease back, um, a high leveraged mortgage, um, those type of things. Like we, we can, we can do a lot of things within those general structures to help you meet your goals, right? So that everybody wins in the long term. Um, but also the flexibility to kind of react to tough situations, right? And we talked through that earlier. Um, we're, we're stable. We're growth focused. You know, we're, as a publicly traded company, we've got access to the public markets. We've got a billion dollar line of credit that's undrawn currently. We've got an in ingress investment grade credit rating. So when it comes to, you know, meeting our partners' growth targets and being there for them when they need us, um, we, we've got a big checkbook. Um, you know, and I think that this is a, a bit of a, a different time, uh, you know, currently where, where we stand today, we probably have a little bit less access to the public markets than we did three, four or five months ago, but that's going to be temporary. We still have, you know, a lot of cash on hand to, to be able to do things and be nimble and all that. But like, you know, in a, in a typical environment, you know, we're not, we're not relying on finding, you know, other individual investors to come in and, and kind of, you know, bolster up our funds. We've got access to the public markets, like I said. And, you know, we're, we're a pretty well-operated machine at this point and experienced in all things experiential, if you will. We've been around for 25 years. We've basically seen it all. We've been through multiple cycles. Um, we've got, you know, I think I talked through probably seven or eight different kind of asset classes in the yep. experiential realm. And so, you know, we know these businesses, even though we don't operate them, we know them well. We know what to look for, uh, especially in operators and um and, you know, at the end of the day, we really are a partner and, um, and we pride ourselves on, on being good to work with. Well, that's great. So, uh, well, it was good to meet you. Look forward to, uh, collaborating on, uh, future deals here. You know, we're big believers in the bricks and mortar. We've been since, uh, yeah. you know, the day before COVID and the day after COVID. And we, uh, think that experience is, uh, is important. And if we want to solve loneliness, you got to get people together and might as well get them together in a nice spot that's, uh, you know, conditioned yeah. to make uh, people optimize and feel good about well themselves. Said. So look forward to working with you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for a little tutorial on, uh, on REITs and we will tag this accordingly. And, uh, once we get this up, we'll send it over to you and, uh, see if we can get some good, uh, relationships in place. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys very much for the opportunity and for the platform. You got it.